Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is going to be, it's a, it's a really exciting one for me because it, it kind of bridges the lines between, you know, personal and professional. Today I have with me, and I say this, you know, with intention, a friend with us, and he brings with us, you know, a great amount of experience in really social change, in philanthropy, in board governance, strategic planning, and really helping to influence positive change in really the social profit sector. Today's kind of main lessons are to learn a little bit about how can change happen from a procedural level, not just from an individual kind of path goal type level, but really through a very strategic procedure-based level to further influence kind of outcomes, whether it's in kind of, you know, a public health agency, a private organization, or anything in between. So you're going to want to listen up to today's guest. He's got a great amount of experience in this area. Today's guest, his name is Doug Nelson. He is the founder of the Discovery Group and is somebody that has served the community in the university post-secondary setting in helping on, you know, philanthropy. And then also kind of in the healthcare setting in multiple roles in both the United States and in Canada in kind of the cancer and healthcare setting as well. So thank you so much for being with us today, Doug. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. My only regret with that intro was that my mom wasn't listening when you recorded it the first time. And I guess I guess I had a second regret, which is you didn't mention how good I am at uh, hip-hop dancing, which is actually where we met, was uh, at a fundraising event that included a hip-hop class that I believe you, uh, you won Best Dancer. Well, this is what I do, you know, or this is how we do it, uh, to, to quote a, another good song. No, absolutely. That is where we met. We actually met at, I think, the Workout to Conquer Cancer mm-hmm. at the Richmond Olympic Oval back yeah. in, goodness, it would have been 2014, I think, around 2014. there. 2014, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, time flies, hey? Yeah. And I think we still had no hair at that time, too. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. I said goodbye to that a long time ago. <laughs> actually, that's a really good point. You know, I met Doug when I was actually in cancer treatment and Doug was running the BC Cancer Foundation that kind of worked strategically with the cancer agency to help to fund clinical trials, research, awareness, you know, all of those kinds of things to further support some of the initiatives of the cancer agency. Yeah. Well, and that uh, the BC Cancer Foundation uh, was and still very much is a, a really incredible organization that works side by side with the uh, the smartest kids in class who are looking at the questions of cancer and trying to find answers and options for people and families as they, as they go through their cancer journeys. And that for me was there for about seven years. And it was an incredibly formative experience as a human being, but as a leader as well. And as a layperson in the world of science, particularly in cancer research, all of the ideas that I heard from researchers sounded good. Every single one of them sounded like they could have been the one. And it was a, um, it was a really steep learning curve at a time of a lot of steep learning curves, but a really steep learning curve to find the ways to invest in projects or get those smartest kids in class to identify what is highest priority, greatest promise. What does that look like? And that highest priority, greatest promise is something that I took away from that experience and mm. applied in California at a hospital foundation there. 
but bring it every day to the work we do here at the Discovery Group, which is trying to solve the problems of leadership in the social profit organization. These jobs as executive directors, as CEOs, as board chairs are incredibly lonely. They're incredibly difficult. The last two years has been an even uh, made doubly difficult because not only is it lonely, but we're actually isolated. Uh, and how do we help leaders show up as their best selves more often throughout the day? And how do we help organizations show up as their best selves over the course of a year or multiple years or the life of a strategic plan? And what is fascinating to me, and this is my our working hypothesis, Mark, and you can uh, I'd love your feedback on it, is that most of the problems of the social profit sector are organizations doing those things to themselves. They can't get out of their own way. A lot of the work that we do, my colleagues and I here at the Discovery Group, we work with organizations to help identify what it is that's getting in their own way. And what's remarkable is the number of organizations say, yes, that's getting our own way, but we can't change it. And I don't know how we're going to help you then. Uh, And finding ways either to address what's causing that that issue in the first place or ways to mitigate or move around it. Uh, And so it's, it's incredibly rewarding work. It's incredibly challenging work. It's not as hard as trying to keep up with you on the dance floor, but it is uh, pretty, uh, pretty fascinating to see the really inspiring ways that organizations are trying to make that positive contribution and how so often what is getting in the way is within their control. I love that. And it's that self-fulfilled prophecy, right? Yeah. If you, if you believe you can't, then you can. And I think that you know, you're somebody who I've kept in touch with over the years because I met you, you know, in a time in my life that was, that was a real challenge. But what I saw through you and your role was a real sense of hope and real hope mm-hmm. because, you know, this is, you know, for the listeners today, this is going to be, I'm going to be channeling my inner Brene Brown throughout this because it's going to be quite a bit of vulnerability in, in this particular episode because this man on the other side here is a friend. He's become a friend. He's become somewhat of a mentor as well, even though we're around the same age, but he's somebody that I really appreciate because, you know, I think about some of the people who I've met throughout my time, you know, Doug's near the top of the list, that he was doing something pretty special to help a lot of people. And I got to witness some of that at various events, you know, whether it was riding a silly little road bike to Seattle on a dare before I knew of anything of this disease, it was something that I was doing, you know, as a bit of a dare, but also with, with my, my dad on my mind as mm-hmm. he was dealing with his cancer journey. And then as I got, you know, diagnosed and was in treatment, you know, I remember thinking, you know, what can we do? You know, what, what are things that we could do rather than being on the sidelines? How can we get involved? Mm-hmm. And some of my colleagues decided to sign us up for this workout to conquer cancer. And, you know, it was something where, it's that old quote, right? You know, a small group of people determined to accomplish great things will do so. And I butchered that quote, but it's so true because at, the, at that event and it's tangible, it's measurable, you know, those sorts of events and it's repeatable at many mm-hmm. different places. If you can get clearer on what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish and what each person's role is on the bus, as Jim Collins would say, yeah. right? Your likelihood of success is much, much greater. <laughs> And it's wonderful at those sorts of events to be able to experience that in real time, you know, to see that we raise X amount of dollars. Here's a researcher. This is what he was able to accomplish over the past three years because of these kinds of philanthropic donations. Mm -hmm. And as a result, this many lives were influenced directly because of it. And for me, I had the opportunity, as you know, and I saw, you know, 
I would keep in touch with you during that journey. You know, I was directly a recipient of that sort of care. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just remained grateful that there was a model in place where those two, not just the clinical, but also the research and philanthropic were aligned. And I think that continues, right? In many mm-hmm. different organizations, it's a model that really works. And what's fascinating when, you, when you're on the, the inside, as I had the privilege of being for, for a number of years, you meet people who are often experiencing either their worst days or not. They're certainly not their best days as they're being diagnosed or they've got a loved one who's diagnosed and is on a cancer journey. But we often really see the very best of people at the worst of times. Uh, and for people who are uh, experiencing a cancer journey that are looking to find meaning in it and do something beyond themselves and raise money to support others and support the work and the condition that they have. It is really incredible. And so, and you are certainly one of the really prime examples. So I guess my question to you is, so you get this diagnosis and then you want to turn it into something positive to help other people. Is that a conversation you had to have with yourself or was that instinct or, or what, what kicked in there that, that made that about helping others as you were in a really difficult spot yourself? I had a huge sense of gratitude. Mm. Like, like the, in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness. I, I met my, uh, my oncologist. I didn't know what an oncologist was until, until I had to. And they were so amazing. They kind of took my hand and said, mm. we're going to get through this. And it wasn't you are, it's we're going to. And immediately I was like, whoa, like we're, we're, we're a team. Mm. So I immediately thought as I went through, I'll never forget, Doug. I remember seeing when I went in that first day, and I hadn't processed any of it, man, like right. none of it. It was all sitting up there, just being left untreated. And um, it all hit me when I went to go do my pre-appointment. And it was like, oh, it was heavy. And I ran into a mutual friend of ours on mm-hmm. my way there, which again, these things happen for a reason. And at that point, he was with the Cancer Foundation, Jimmy Brockett. Yeah. And uh, so I ran into crazy Jimmy and which is bizarre because I just happened to, the only way I would have is I walked past that office going into the hospital. And then I ran into another friend of mine who sadly was, um, you know, her cancer had just come back and her husband is a wonderful guy. And, and I ran into them and they were in a tough spot. And, you know, they were, they were saying, they knew I was always into fundraising. They're like, well, what are you fundraising today? And I said, I'm a little personal today. And Mm -hmm. she just started crying. So did he. And, and I was like, okay, well, look at what this ride has done. Look at what many agencies have done, not just in cancer, but in brain injury and MS and in many different things. There is a reason for hope. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we can zoom out and see it from a higher, different perspective, there is a reason for hope because people are making it uh, past things. And at that same time, I was actually reading, you and I share this affinity for books. I was reading Gladwell's re- most recent book at that time, which again, things happen for a reason. There are no coincidences. <laughs> I was reading David and Goliath mm. and he was talking about chemotherapy mm-hmm. and how it came to be in pediatric oncology for leukemia. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this and his, he was saying there has to be a better way. And with good research, new outcomes will, they will happen. They're not maybe going to happen. They're going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the way I looked at it, Doug, was that there was a way and maybe if I could play some small role in helping someone else who maybe didn't have the level of support that I had, because I was mm-hmm. so fortunate, I was going to help. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a part of helping. And maybe that's part of subconsciously part of me wanting to have some semblance of control too. I don't know, probably, but that was why. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's 
really great insight. And thanks for sharing that. Because, you know, the I just think when people get bad news, whether it's cancer or anything else, and certainly my instincts sometimes are to go right inside and why me and, uh, of and go internal to that. Uh, and, I, and I'm so fascinated by individuals and individuals acting as a group who are trying to look beyond themselves. And that's the privilege of the work that we get to do is working with, totally. with organizations that are trying to change the world for the better, find a new way to deliver a service or answer a different important health question or provide an important social service. And that instinct to help others and to go outside of ourselves is such a, a fascinating human characteristic. It's always exceptional when you encounter it in an individual. And I'm just so grateful that it is not exceptional as a species, that for the most part, most of us, I believe, really want to be part of helping the larger whole, the larger good, and creating a better future. So the work we do is getting to help people do that in the area where they're focused. You know, when I left the Cancer Foundation, I found it really, really hard to change jerseys. I, I love that place. I still love that place. Uh, and I went to a hospital in, in San Francisco that was building two new hospitals, and it was amazing. Uh, and it was uh, just as some of the, like Facebook and others were going public. And so as a fundraiser, I've never been more charming. People had made all of this money and you'd ask them to give some of it away. They'd say yes. They're like, oh, I'm so good at this yeah. uh, fundraising game. But I, I missed that direct, really emotional connection to the work and the opportunity to come to come home, to come back to, to Vancouver and start the Discovery Group was really just, what do I love about this sector? What matters the most? which is really helping people get, a, get out of their own way, helping people accomplish their, their biggest goals. And, and one of the things that I really appreciated in learning about ABI wellness and the work that you've been doing has been that idea of people defining success on their own or success for themselves in your program and things like it, where it, it's not, you must do the following 10 things and here is the guaranteed result. Everybody's going to have a very different journey. And my case, our work is every organization is going to have a different journey. Right. Uh, and, and that's actually, that's not a fault. That's the feature. That's the really good part of this is that if you can provide a pathway for people to improve, for organizations to improve, when people are committed, it's going to work or it's going to have an impact. It's going to have a positive impact. Oh, I love that. And I think you're, I think you're so bang on because, you know, something we were, we've chatted about before is that. And this is part of what I think is a huge strength of yours is sometimes when we're too close to the, the problem or the challenge, it's again, that issue of perspective, mm -hmm. you know, I can only see you here. I can't notice that there's a spider up on that wall until I do back up there. Yeah. And when we're too close to the challenge that we're dealing with inside of our own organizations, it can be really helpful to get that external perspective mm -hmm. to help us to better understand what we may not yet be able to see for ourselves yet because yeah. of how we're sitting and interpreting, right? Yeah. And because we're simple apes as a species, you and I in particular, but other, yeah, other yeah, the rest yeah, of us, exactly. yeah. the, the, yeah. uh, that, that idea, that feeling, and we encountered a lot when working with leaders is that it's reassuring for people to hear, this isn't just happening to them, whatever their particular challenge is, or this is, the issue is, they're not the only ones going through this. We've seen this before, or many organizations, suffer this. And I had a very, as, as we're doing this through Zoom, I'm sure your listeners have been on a Zoom call mm -hmm. once or twice, working with an organization a couple of weeks ago. And they said, you got to understand we're tired of being on Zoom. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, come on. Everybody's tired of being on Zoom. 
<laughs> that's oh yeah that's a state oh, of being yeah. that's not an excuse so the um just understanding that every that others feel the same way or encountering very similar challenges i think it often helps people feel like okay well then i can find my own feet here i can find the bottom of the pool and push off and let's let's see what let's see what's going to happen next but the, again going back to that where i started with that feeling of isolation that comes with leadership, particularly in the social profit sector, where leaders often feel a responsibility to deliver on these really, really ambitious missions and visions and working with a lot of really great people. But we feel like we end up by ourselves a lot and a lot of the weight of the world on our shoulders. And just knowing that other people feel that way, have been through these kinds of challenges before, I find gives people uh, greater well, strength. I, I think that, again, reminds me of, I'm on a Brene Brown you know, kick, but you know, it's really the the feedback that matters are for people who have been in the arena themselves, right? Because yeah. it's easy from the sidelines to say, oh, you should have done it this way. You should have done it that way. And have you found that for you and your work, because you've been in the arena, find that that's particularly useful for you in terms of connecting with these other leaders that are in similar situations? Yeah. You know, one of the, the, and I would, <laughs> so I love Brene Brown. I would say it was, I was in the arena. I would say, but, but just that I've walked a similar path with a lot right. of having been in the room and been reporting to boards and been on boards and, and uh, so have different perspective on leaderships. And we, I like to think that I sort of like appear to leaders. Like yeah. I, I know what that's yeah. like, but one of the things that, that I learned pretty early on in this consulting journey was as a consultant, nobody wants to hear the stories that had a really positive outcome. So if I was talking about fundraising and I tell a story about, oh, and then we did this and then we raised a $500,000 gift or a million dollar gift, everybody's like, oh yeah, good for you, Doug. That's great. On to the next thing. What I learned really quickly is that stories that inter- people are interested in and we can all learn from are the stories where it didn't work, where that time we went in and asked somebody for $500,000 or that time we had designed a granting program and we just didn't get the dollars where we wanted them to get because of a flaw in our reasoning, our process didn't allow us to be successful. People are interested in those stories of the things that didn't work. And I think there's such strength in, and these are the leaders that I look up to and the mentors that I've had in in my own career, the people that are like, yeah, we tried really hard and it didn't work, or this went wrong, or we didn't anticipate that this might happen. And this is what, and that's what tripped us up in the end. And it's one of the messages that I have for for all leaders is when boards are asking, show your work, they're not asking to see the next page of the Excel spreadsheet. They're asking to see what have you learned through making this decision? Mm. What have you learned through this process? And encourage people to share their mistakes because we all make mistakes and we all know everybody makes mistakes. Uh, And I think it just helps establish a much higher level of trust and much higher level of accountability if you're as a leader willing to say, here's where we missed. Now you can't go in and say with a list of 20 things you got wrong to your board on Tuesday, I made the following six mistakes. <laughs> I, mean, I ordered the wrong thing for lunch. I did a, yeah. it, that's confessional and that's not what yeah. we're doing. That's not what I'm talking about, but people learn. We learn from our own mistakes more than we learn from our successes. I think that's pretty trite or pretty straightforward. I think others learn more about us through our mistakes and our recoveries. And since we're talking about the Cancer Foundation, the best chair that I ever worked for was Jess Ketchum mm-hmm. uh, when he was chair of, the, chair of the BC Cancer Foundation. And his, it's all in the art of the recovery. It's all in the recovery. Whatever, when something goes wrong, focus on how you're going to make it better. Don't, don't, uh, don't worry about what happened, but how you're going to fix it. I think that's at its heart. That is the leadership challenge for, for most in the sector. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic. Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic is an extremely innovative clinic that focuses on rehabilitative medicine in a way that is really focused on improving function. They offer the PONS therapy, the ABI wellness program. They offer brain effects assessments. They offer the NeuroCatch assessment. They have everything available for brain health solutions under one roof. I strongly encourage you to look into their work at Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic and their information will be in the show notes. And if you want to learn more right now, just punch on over to Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic and you'll find them there and a member of their team will be in touch with you right away. Uh, well, I, there's so much there. And, you know, I think when you think about that very topic, there's, there's a lot to, to think about, you know, acknowledging number one, for each of us that yes, we make mistakes. I think for some that is, that is still a challenge. Well, I hope that changes for you <laughs> um, because we're all going to make mistakes, especially if you're trying to do something that's innovative and that has a chance to change the way things are currently being done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how you work and that's how I work. And so we're constantly trying to fail forward, right? Is learn from those failures and, and have it continue to move the mission forward. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, something you hit on there and you were on a roll, so I wasn't going to get in your way. Was, and I re- but I really liked it was around, you know, what motivates you in some of this work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an interesting one was as I think about your work and I think about my work or our work together and many people in this, in this area, one area that, you know, I have to admit can be quite challenging for me and frustrating is that for many people, and I'm sure you've seen this in your work, if somebody presents with a certain kind of cancer diagnosis that was in San Francisco and was struggling, you know, maybe there was a clinical trial available where they could get involved and get an opportunity to try to do something about that. Right. And when I think about our work at ABI, that's probably the biggest thing for us is that for a lot of people that are post-acute with chronic cognitive symptoms in many places, it's not even an option to try to have informed choice to choose. And that's the big one for me is that not that necessarily this particular cancer treatment at a hospital in San Francisco or, you know, a treatment program at a physiotherapy clinic is going to be the solution, but it's giving the opportunity at informed choice to choose to take on that sort of a treatment or not. Yeah. Well, and your work has really been developing that treatment and then trying to, to, to uh, to others, you know, it is that agency you, you talked about it. Well, maybe, maybe, Maybe some of the fundraising you're doing when you're through cancer was to take some control over a situation where you didn't have a lot of control. And so giving people the opportunity, the platform to try, to have options. It's something that I have learned so much in my work over the last five years here at the Discovery Group. Options are worth a lot mm. for organizations, for individual leaders, for individuals at their core. The ability to make that choice and the ability to make choice has a whole bunch of issues related to it around privilege and around previous experience and where you're sitting when the the menu comes, your options would look quite different for one person over another person, one group over another group. But those options really are incredibly important. And for whether it's patients on, on, on a healing journey, whether it's for organizations that are trying to recover from something that from adverse events over the last couple of years, or organizations that are trying to be really ambitious 
leaders that are trying to create new and greater, bigger, better, that options are more important I love that. than I think we give them credit for. It's, it's not just choices. We choose A and then that's it. But being able to explore what A, B, C, and D might mean is going to make you execute A many times better than if you just chose it and didn't look back. I love it. And, you know, when you think about then, let's say this work and I mean, it's complex work that we're, that you're involved in here, you know, as you think about it evolving over the years, over these past five years, but your whole career, really, what would your hope for the future be in this sort of work with a focus on really the brain and, and, and the mind of maybe the board members of the yeah. people that are involved? You know, I think you could think of it for a lot of social profit organizations, the board really is the brain and there are parts of the brain that work better than others. Uh, and, but my hope is that the, um, when we look at the organizations that are successful, there's really two primary characteristics and it, it comes down to mind. It comes down to mindset in a lot of ways. One is that future orientation, future casting. What is the world we want to help create? What is the organization we want to help build? And what is it we need to do today to move in that direction? Which really is a bit, an ability to look past the immediate block or the barrier right in front of you and see through that barrier to what the world might look like. And to be able to be thoughtful and considered and take the time in that space, which can be hard for us as individuals, but hard for boards to not jump to making a decision. But again, mm -hmm. options are worth it and are worth exploring. So that future focus is, is really important. And so many organizations, as all of us have had over the, over the COVID period, really, we've all been looking forward to being able to vacation again and, to other, and be able to get back to or build back better. I love a lot of the, the narratives that organizations have about uh, creating a better world, a better community, a better society from what we've learned through this. Really, really powerful looking forward. The second thing that I'm really optimistic about, or I'd say hopeful, I'm not quite optimistic yet, Mark, is as a species, if we could get past the idea that there is no cost to doing nothing, or the assumed cost mm -hmm. of doing nothing is zero. What I see in organizations that are, we don't like where we are, we're not sure where we want to go, so we're just going to stand pat. Whether that comes down to diversifying the people that are on your board or on your management team, whether that comes to diversifying your service offering or diversifying the audience you're talking to or for or with, doing nothing is less of an option. And what the optimism in that is really great things happen when organizations lean forward, when people lean forward to embrace the challenge in front of them, even if they don't know the answer. In fact, especially if they don't know the answer yet. But we can't stand still. We need to move in a direction. Let's move this direction and assume that it's forward and be ready to pivot. I love it. <laughs> if it turns out not to be forward and we got to go left or right. Oh, that's, that's such a good insight. And I, I mean, surely scary, right? For the, the organization doing that. But you look in history, you look at the greats that have done this with a lot of uncertainty, but making that calculated risk to do that with the very clear intention of X obviously learning why in the process probably too, but, mm. but this is the intention and we're going to go for this. Yeah. So many organizations, I would assume that, that you work with and that you've seen, they get this, you know, paralysis by analysis, right? Is, oh, let's wait, that can, that can wait till next quarter or let's wait, you know, mm. uh, probably not the right risk for us right now. Let's just keep the status quo, right? Yeah. What do you say to that? So if I'm, if I'm running this organization, you know, like, 
<laughs> you know, I don't know. I, we, you know, that's something we can't do right now. What, what's some, what's some advice that you would want to give to an organization that is in that sort of a situation? Well, right, the, the first question is usually, so what do you think will happen if we do nothing here? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, so it, the people can move off pretty quickly, but I'm actually interested in the, in the perspective that, that you have from the ABI lens, because you're offering something that's, that's new and different and yeah the status quo wasn't working for enough people, you're developing an alternative. What do you say to people? It's like, well, we know the state of recovery isn't what it could be, but that looks a little risky what you got going over there. Or we're not ready yet. Like, how, what, yeah. what do you say to them? I mean, I want to listen, number one, right? So, okay, help me to understand, you know, how is it working for you? Say similar, similar <laughs> answer. Like, yeah. how, how is it working right now? Like in, in, around cognition and treating cognition and aligning therapies, you know, how's that working out? Because I, mm-hmm. it's good learning for me. And oftentimes it's not working very well, or they're actually not even able to reliably track it, which is really challenging for them. So again, I treat that with empathy and compassion saying that's got to be hard for you. I know you want to make a difference for the people and you really want to help your staff. Yeah. If I can, I'd like to help you with that. Yeah. You know, we'd love to help, but for people who don't want to do, who are happy with how it's going, just wish them well, keep moving on, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. And I hope good things happen for you. But, you know, that's the tricky thing about innovation is you got to kind of stick your neck out there and say, hey, you know, what we found on the ABI side was that a lot of people with with cognitive issues, sadly, don't get treatment. And truly, that's where we will stick our head out and say, no, no, all it is is an option. Just have informed choice that there is an option. And should you try, maybe you could help this population more than you currently are. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. It's so amazing to see what uh, you and your team have built there. And and uh, I remember the, one of our first conversations as you were getting things off the ground, you're like, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to work, but I am convinced this is going to really help people if we get it right. And it's been so amazing to watch the journey and uh, that you really are helping people and you are getting it's it right. It's fun. No, it's yeah. fun. It's fun. But but I'm putting you on the grill today. So um, <laughs> we'll do it. We've done it the other way around. But for you, you know, and I love what you're doing, like watching what you're doing. I, I could tell I, I watched you actually in some of the fundraising stuff. And I watched you as people were talking and, you know, you it matters to you deeply. And I even think a couple of my buddies gave you a hard time when I was in treatment. They're like, oh, I went to that guy. I'm like, he's doing the best he can. They're like, he seems like a great guy. I said, I know he seems like a great guy. You know, and, you know, to look at what you built to take all the learning that you've done over the years uh, in working from university settings to try to put really, like you said, ideas to action, right? What were some of the kind of most influential? Was it, you know, family? Was it books? Was it research? What helped to get your kind of perspective on this to where it is? Or is it just innate in in you? No, no. Well, no, I've had, I've had, uh, some really great early bosses that uh, encouraged by asking really good and oftentimes very hard questions and the um, need to be self-reflective. My dad's a psychologist, so that's usually a confession Yeah, when you've got a psychologist <laughs> as a parent. But, but why do you think that's happening? Trying to find understanding of what that looks like. And yeah, as you and I, was, we were getting ready for recording here, we were talking about all the books that we've read and there's such a lot of overlap in our, in our reading <laughs> list. But it, really trying to understand what gets in the way of doing or of achieving our highest ambitions as, as individuals and as, and as groups. And I'm so inspired by the leaders that we get to work with today 
there are some people who are doing in there in some smaller organizations that most of your listeners probably haven't heard of that are really changing the world as they see it and as they define it in such a powerful way. And, you know, you get up, I ride my bike to work and I get to think about Veronica and her team and what they're doing and, and the little bit that I'm going to be able to do to help them do it a little better, a little faster. And, and I'll, I'll end where you started, which is with gratitude for the chance to get to do this stuff. Well, so, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you to the, to the, to the fire here on this one. One book, is there one book that you're just, it doesn't have to be the one, but is there one when you think about this kind of work and the perspective that you take, which is very kind of, yes, inspirational, but also very strategic. You know, when I think of you, you're very strategic mind, very process driven mind, but also very innovative at the same time. And also, so it's kind of an interesting combination that you've got. Is there one that you might want to recommend to people that are listening? Because we're trying to build out our book list for people uh, that yeah. where they can get a recommended good read from a, a another wise person. Yeah, well, so as an avid reader, and you probably have this too, people say, what's your favorite book? And you're like, oh, that's usually people who read a Not lot fair. don't ask that question, right? People Not who fair. read a lot don't ask that question. So I always say The Count of Monte Cristo is my favorite ah. book. It's like 1,200 pages long, and very few people want to join me on that journey if they haven't already. <laughs> there are so many. I draw a lot of strength. For, I read a lot of biographies, and biographies more than autobiographies. The distance, I think, adds to some of the clarity of the message. Anything by Walter Isaacson, I think. Is oh, my, 100%. percent. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, 100%. And what, one of the books that I was trying to, I did a poor job of linking you up to, but truly one of my favorite academic researchers, and I forgot that she wrote a little testimonial in this book, but is Angela Duckworth, mm. who studied grit, who mm-hmm. I, I was just fascinated. That, that's my academic crush. I just yeah. think, like what she's done is so incredibly cool is, you know, what's, what are the scientific underpinnings of resilience and then how can that resilience influence change and in action and performance? So this is the book that I was thinking of because, oh, because yeah. it, it, this is one we were just talking and I have marked all through it. I mean, yeah, you and I yeah. both really like Ryan Holiday's work yeah. and yeah. Um, you know, one of the buzzwords that's out there right now, and I struggle with it a bit, we're both Vancouverites, the home of Lululem and yada, 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 yada. But Stillness is the Key is mm-hmm. one of those books where this world is so busy yeah. right now. And I hate, I don't like that word. I want it to be productive, not busy. But, you know, when you think about some of your practical lessons from this, maybe would you mind sharing with some of the listeners what you yeah. got from that and how you applied it? Because I think it's really, it's going to be really useful for people. Yeah. So Ryan Holiday, Stillness is the Key is a book that I found, I think, right exactly at the right time for me. And the big takeaway for me was rather than, trying to make my days longer with a family and, and work and building a business and, and, and a whole bunch of other things going on was that to find more time where I was actually focused. So the very practical part of it was if you look at my phone, none of the notifications show up. So all of those red numbers that tell you that somebody you're failing to meet someone else's expectations of what you sh- how you should be spending your time. I don't see any of those out through the, through the day. I used to use two screens, which is the absolute worst thing for my brain. And I would switch and I would be distracted. And inevitably it ended up checking Twitter, like in the middle of doing something. Like, How did I get here? I don't want to be doing this. What is this? So back to one screen and I close my laptop whenever I'm not doing something directly on it. So there's nothing there that can distract me. So I try to mm. use as much time as possible with pencil and paper. And it came from that stillness is key. So that idea that when our brains are centered and directed, we can accomplish 
a lot more than anything related to multitasking. Love and that. I marvel at people who can do it, but it's just never going to be my brain. And, and that book was just such a great reminder that do less and accomplish a lot more isn't just a saying or a Dilbert cartoon. It is a real, it is a real possibility. No, oh, it's awesome. That's such a good, I, I really like that, you know, when you said it before, and I think it would resonate for many people today. Yeah. Definitely did with me. So when you think about, you know, any kind of parting words that you'd want people, keeping in mind the people that might be listening to this, these could be people that have working through some health crisis, yeah. through brain injury, typically, or concussion. It could be people who are running an organization that are struggling right now, trying to figure it out, as we all are. Or they could be board members who are trying to figure out how to get things back on track or to how to make things even better than they are now. You know, what are some final kind of parting, you know, pieces of, of advice or consideration that you might want to share? Very, very practical. I think it's really, really important that organizations be looking for ways to move forward. Understanding the status quo is not, not where you want to be. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking the question. Mm-hmm. Very tactical. What is the information that we need to know and write it down? like old school pros and cons, but just write down, what is it that we need to know to be comfortable moving forward? Or what is it we wished we knew now in order to inform the choice we're going to make? When people do that, when organizations do that in particular, they see that most of the answers come from taking action, not from more analysis. We want to know what will happen when we start to do this. Once you get to that point, it's like, okay, then we've got to start. And it it really helps unstick people to, to write down with a pencil and a piece of paper, write down what it is that is preventing the decision, preventing the movement, and what you would like to know in order to be okay with moving forward. And I would say 70% of the organizations we work with find the way to be able to move forward just this through a simple exercise like that. Awesome. That's great. Now, for people that are listening there, you know, your work, you know, you really serve boards, you serve companies who are kind of in that social profit sector, though. If people are out there, they're listening, they want to learn more, they want to reach out to you. Yeah. You know, I know this isn't your comfort, like you don't like doing that, but please do let people know where they can find you and your sure. work in case they need your help. Sure. So our website is thediscoverygroup.ca. Find us on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn as Douglas Nelson. Uh, and really interested in a conversation about where you and your organization are at. So feel free to be in touch. I uh, also have the Discovery Pod, which is a, a podcast. Uh, we just recorded our 125th episode uh-huh. last week. and uh, But I, I don't know. No one's really passed uh, the, the fifth episode. The guest <laughs> on the fifth episode was Mark Watson. Uh, really, really good. So Yeah. No, thank you. Hey, it's it my pleasure to, to be a small part of it. And I'm, I just love what you're doing. I know you're helping people. And uh, I encourage you, if you're struggling with any of the things that kind of Doug was mentioning, you know, reach out to him. He's a great guy. He's very approachable. He's built a great team over there. And he's really committed to outcomes and to helping to make things a little bit simpler, <laughs> you know, and uh, and helping people to reach their goals. So please do reach out. And thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, 
please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the BEARS platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible, and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support, and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the BEARS platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the BEARS platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The BEARS platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.